Uh, well, uh, thanks everyone for coming back to the show this week. I'm excited to let you know we're going to be speaking with uh, Dr. Aaron McDonald today, astrophysicist and uh, tattooed one woman STEM uh, career panel and uh, with uh, recognition as a researcher, speaker, engineer, and consultant before her current career. She lives in Los Angeles working as a writer and producer and is currently the science consultant for the entire Star Trek universe. Welcome to Shall We Digress? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Is there anything I said that's wrong or that you would like nope. to correct? Nailed oh. it. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, it is an absolute uh, surprise joy to get to speak to you today. Um, obviously, uh, the the draw of the science consultant for Star Trek is, is pretty cool. And uh, I've had Dr. Uh, Muhammad uh, Noor on uh, previously, and it's just a lot of fun to, to, to talk to actual scientists to do actual science and make sure we, we come kind of close uh, in, our, in the science part of our science fiction. So it's, it's really exciting. That's great. Yeah, Professor Noor is awesome. He's a really good friend of mine. It's a delight every time I get to work with him. Oh, yeah. I, I bumped into him uh, at uh, first time in person at Mission Chicago. And, uh, just nice. you know, I was completely lost. It was after the hours of the con and I was trying to meet up with friends. And I, I don't know how many circles I made of that place, but I'm pretty sure I closed my ring uh, for <laughs> steps that day uh, because of that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just a fantastic opportunity. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, what in what inspired you to become or get into astrophysics to get into uh, that kind of astronomy? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it was really similar to a lot of kids, I think around eight to 10 space and dinosaurs. It's usually one of those two things, if not both. And mm -hmm. I was super into both. Um, I was really into aliens. Uh, there was a slew of great science fiction in the nineties when I was growing up. And honestly, like it was a combination of the X-Files primarily watching Dana Scully. I'm a little redheaded girl watching Dana Scully put on a lab coat, <laughs> fight aliens with science. And I was like, well, that looks cool. I want to do that. And then, um, and then contact came out as well and oh, getting wow. to see, you know, Dr. Arroway and like just her being a radio astronomer just looked cool. And so mm -hmm. while I had ruled out being a medical doctor in Dana Scully's path, um, she did actually do her undergraduate in physics. Um, but I always had that image of just kind of studying space just seemed really cool. And so I didn't think of it like a long-term career. I just knew like when I went to college, that was something I wanted to study. Wow. Wow. That's uh, it, you're, you're absolutely right. I was captured by space um, at, as early as I can remember, but most specifically I was around four or five years old when Columbia launched the first shuttle mission. And oh, wow. my mom, uh, my mom insisted it was early for me, but she got me up so I could, so we could watch it. Um, and it was fantastic. And then the, uh, the book into that is, you know, you spend your life fascinated by the shuttle space and the shuttle program and suffering the loss of, of Challenger and Columbia uh, and um, thinking, oh, well, they'll, they'll just, there'll always be the shuttle, right? And well, it turns out there's there's an end to that. Uh, it is finite. And uh, I had always hoped to get to see a launch. And so once there was only one launch left, my wife um, you know, broke the earth to make sure I could see Atlantis launch. And it was incredible. Wow. That's um, really cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really the closest, cool. uh, the causeway, the closest public viewing spot. And have you ever seen a rocket launch? I have not. So there's wow. two things on my bucket list. I've never Ooh. seen a rocket launch and I've never seen a solar eclipse. So one day. <laughs> it, it's um, the, the different, because when you see it on TV, even live, it feels slow, right? It's like the slow motion thing. And of course, in all the movies, it's slow motion because rockets. And, uh, but in, but in person, it is, it's so fast. It's like yeah. you, you get an understanding for it goes off like a rocket because it is, it's every bit as fast as like a hobby rocket. It's like, it just, it's wow. hard. Um, That's awesome. Most impressively is you see the shockwave coming and even from three miles away, it was, it was physical. Uh, <laughs> you just can't be in more awe of cool. something. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, it, it's a moment um awesome. always treasure yeah so if you get to see a rocket uh get to the biggest one you can <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so imagine great. that experience with a saturn V. holy moses no no Goodness. kidding right Oof. yeah oh that's what so a cool. beast yeah i love uh, it yeah <laughs> Um, See that, so, but that like that little part of us never dies, right? Like I just I think even if people don't become a scientist, they still always remember that feeling of being a kid and being so in awe of it. And uh, it's just such an unknown that it's miraculous. Well, I wrote to every NASA office that my mom could find an address for and requested material on stuff, oh. just so I had facts yeah. about i had pictures of the solar system uh shuttle pictures uh, uh i had a i had a picture of uh the challenger crew i used to know all their names and what they did i can't you know yeah. 40 odd years later i can't but uh yeah just incredible well that's so that's so awesome and so did you do it as a hobby did you have a telescope did you no, I was, uh, I'm, it's funny. You find this actually with a number of astrophysicists. We're actually really crap astronomers. <laughs> like, um, and, There's the inspiration. And then you're like, let's figure out how this works. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really the thing is it's like, I just liked the, the physics of it and the big, the big, scary, crazy stuff like black holes and other galaxies and oh, formations yeah. of stars and supernovas and all of those. Um, you know, looking up through a telescope, it never stops being cool. And of course I had opportunities when I was a researcher and as a student even to look through a really decent telescope, you know, and, and get good pictures and learning how to observe and, and all of that. And it still is really, really neat, but um, yeah, I've just, the problem is I've just never lived in like a dark sky area, you know? So it's uh, like, I never had that so motivation. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm sure one day when I do, I, I'll get a telescope, but <laughs> until but then. To, to speak to the power that, you know, that astrophysics uh, sheds light to is even in certain spaces where there's so much light pollution, some of those stars still break through. Yeah, that's true. What? <laughs> yeah, it's really from, true. From where, right? And, yeah. and then the, you know, when Hubble captured the, the deep field, picture and the realization that yeah no galaxies those are all galaxies those are galaxies yeah, yeah. not stars yeah those are those are stars made of billions of stars is all you're looking yeah. at there friend yeah. and <laughs> and what one of the most boggling things is that everything that makes everything came from a dying star yeah and yep. 
And you have things like the rarest of rare earth elements in quantities yeah. and the scale required. Yeah. But it's, it's crazy. I mean, all those philosophical things about like, you know, the pale blue dot, like we are star stuff, all that stuff that kind of Carl Sagan brought to the fore. It, I mean, I used to joke when I taught astronomy 101, like day one, I was like, all right, kids, you're all going to get an existential crisis. Like, let's yep. just be perfectly clear. When we start learning about this, you're going to question your entire existence. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, uh, I have often told folks that if you haven't, if you haven't taken the, the journey through that existential crisis to resolve your own insignificance, then you have absolutely <laughs> no way to make an impact on the world. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. Because if you don't realize that the only like you're, you're we've all learned about social distance and that is act, that is the only space you have an impact on. Um, yeah. Where are you going to be with that space? Um, yeah. What are you going to do with that in that finite decades, small amounts of time that you can yeah. change things uh, or try? Sure. Uh, and, you know, um, so it, and when when I see people being down, um, questioning their worth or whatever it is i remind them that stars have died for 14 billion years to coalesce into what makes you so do something with that you know that's really it, beautiful you yeah know, it, that's how i've helped myself because yeah, yeah uh, re the resolution to ah damn <laughs> you know that's hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. It really is. It really is. But the wonder of it to me outweighs any other approach to understanding, honestly. Yeah. Like the fact that there are more questions than answers just fascinates me. Not it doesn't yeah. frustrate me. Not my finite existence keeping me from knowing everything there is to know, that frustrates me. But the yeah. fact that there's more to know does not right? Yeah, uh, that's really I want, cool. I want someone to eventually never answer those questions because that means that we've gotten to the end, right? If there are no more yeah. questions to ask, the universe has suffered heat death. And, you know, and we've seen that too with, uh, with humans going through those cycles of, as a society being like, well, we solved it all. Like, we're fine now. And then, you know, something comes along that pushes them to that next realm and realizing like, oh, no, we're, nope, there's more. <laughs> there's a lot more. <laughs> we have experienced an unfortunate, uh, you know, sociological uh, uh, experiment by accident of that the last couple of years where, uh, you know, it, it's, we thought we had all of that solved and it exposed exactly, I mean, how fragile everything is. Um, it really is. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, you can choose to accept it or ignore it, just like the existential crisis of astrophysics. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But one day you're going to be faced with it. And oh, um, yeah. 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 So let's let's uh, circle back. I've been you you mentioned the the number just the sheer number of great sci-fi that was in the '90s, um, and then you 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 know you, you spoke about Contact specifically, which is 25 years old. Not to not to throw that out there, but like every movie from 1997, it's celebrating its 25th <laughs> anniversary. Um, but leading up to where we are, kind of on the schedule of the show right now, um, <clears throat> I needed something to to get to the to the second anniversary episode. So you'll be, uh, this show will be the first episode of the third year. So hey. you're, kicking, you're kicking off something, you know, monumental. 
uh, for me to have done something like 106 weeks in a row consistently. That's amazing. Congratulations. I'm even from (laughs) even from Paris. I did I did an entire episode from Europe using my iPad. Yeah, very cool. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I was in Paris. So let's start with that. (laughs) Uh, right with my with my oldest boys so that was also great um but uh but yeah it's um it's great to have this uh, opportunity to allow that but getting there has been doing commentary tracks for some of my favorite sci-fi films from 1997 uh so i started with starship (laughs) troopers uh and then i i did the fifth element and that's the fifth element's what reminded me that or or brought this to my attention because it's going to be released to theaters I know, right? I I got to see, I got to see the director's edition 4K uh, theatrical uh, motion picture on my birthday on the 22nd last month. I couldn't. And my friend, he's a, he's kind of like a, he goes to auctions and stuff. Uh, And so he, uh, I go to pick him up to, to go to the movie with me and he has, I kid you not, a still mint in the box but the cellophane is slightly torn in a couple of places uh 1997 copy of the star trek board game whoa that's awesome (laughs) i love it (laughs) and just by happenstance because i asked him for a vcr uh the (laughs) the exact model vcr that i had just been speaking about the day before that was the first vcr i bought for myself in like when i was 15. And I was like, oh. you got to be kidding me. What, what is even happening right now? That's uh, fantastic. You went yeah, through a time was, portal. It was, it was insane. It was insane. Oh, and he, the day started with him. You know, the original gift was a copy of REM's 25th anniversary of New Adventures <laughs> in Hi-Fi, which is both a hate crime and a great present. So <laughs> right. oh, you're living your best 1997 life. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. So we're wrapping up the commentary tracks uh, with to this evening uh, with uh, Event Horizon. Oh, nice. Oh, that movie messed me up. Oh, that movie right? is legit scary. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's, oh, man. And, and if you don't know its production history, um, it was one of those, the studio did it kind of things. And all of the footage that isn't in that film that the director could have used to make his cut was lost. Oh my gosh. That's and it's awful. apparently way worse as far yeah. as horror goes, right? Oh my God. Um, yeah. I ended yeah. up seeing it because I, <clears throat> my high school job was working at Hollywood video. If anyone remembers those. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I used to print off IMDB pages of all my favorite actors. And cause I could rent <laughs> three movies at a time yeah. and I would go through and mark off every single movie on an actor's list. And Jason Isaacs is in event horizon <laughs> and he, <laughs> his death in that film is deeply upsetting. That yep. is. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and on the, you know, on the, on the subject of, of cast, uh, you got him, you got Sam uh, Neal, who's just, mm-hmm. man, can I be 70 odd years old? Like Sam Neal. That man know, looks right? amazing, right? Goodness <laughs> gracious. People were like, what's this old dude doing in the new Jurassic Park? And I was like, you put some respect on that name and shut your mouth. <laughs> right. Listen here, I want to be old like that and still doing oh that my work. God. Uh, I know. <laughs> got Sean Pertwee, who is uh, you yeah. know, descended of a of a doctor uh, that folks might be familiar with, and also oh. played a amazing version of Alfred in Gotham. Uh, if you didn't yeah. watch that show, it was he was incredible as Alfred. And- 
Didn't he also, Sean Pertwee's got a really interesting background. Wasn't he, he had, oh gosh, this is going to drive me crazy. Um, That's why we invented the internet. Or I mean, yeah, Al Gore. exactly. Thanks, which Al, is you know. what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, oh God. Yeah. He was another one. I'll just say he was another one that I went through my whole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my you, whole, you I am had feelings on Sean Pertwee. That's fine. As we should, as we all should. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's fantastic. And then you got Larry Fishburne uh, as he was billed uh, when he was, uh, you know, cowboy. What's his name on uh, Pee Wee Herman's uh, yeah. uh, Playhouse? Uh, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, the cast is incredible. That movie, if you haven't seen it and you're down for sci fi horror, I don't know how have you not seen it because um, that is the wheelhouse. Uh, and it is the knowing the production history of it. Um, is it I mourn that like I mourn the loss of the library at Alexandria. Um, the idea of lost knowledge pains me to my yeah. core because yeah, I know yeah. what happened after that. There's a reason it's called the dark ages and it's not great. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My mom's yeah. a librarian. So I feel that <laughs> I was the network was administrator really for my local library system for seven years, serving nice. almost 200,000 people across two counties. Uh, wow. But because it was all Mac, I was the only one needed. So there you go. Oh, yep. Yeah. That'll do it. Uh, that, led, that led to the that led to the current gig uh, for the fruit company at one of their fruit stands. So amazing <laughs> so much love fun. it uh but um but yeah so many great movies and you know contact was in the running but it's so long um yeah. i thoroughly loved it i hate that so many people don't understand it um yeah, yeah. i mean you it's you feel like her after to, when you talk to people who don't understand it right You're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly no it legit happened yeah <laughs> right? I'm, it's a it's thing so, yeah it's yeah oh, and i think so what's great. so cool because i did i've been doing a couple interviews about contact because of the anniversary and yeah, nice i i think what's so cool about it is the fact that you get to see like you get to see the scientific process happen you know it mm -hmm. really is a mm -hmm. film about humans and the yeah. fact that we never see the aliens we you just see and I think that's something too I always try to talk about is like when we ever discover that there's any sort of life or there was any sort of life on another planet star system whatever that is like I don't know how I'm going to react I don't know how the world's going to react like there's just something so fundamentally bonkers about that idea and just what I just think contact captures that so well. And and it's movies or it's stories like Contact. I wish I had the I wish I had the I, honestly the ability to read the book. Uh, it's something that I would have to put a lot of you know effort into uh, processing wise, sensory wise to 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 get through. Um, but the movie uh, just absolutely inspired or you know made made sure I was continuing to be inspired because it trusts your imagination to fill the gaps and that is one of the most frustrating things to me uh to touch into uh, uh that shared interest of star trek just a minute um visual continuity does not disrupt me right yeah. like i can i can take current enterprise and it is past enterprise because my brain yeah. doesn't care yeah. it does the work i like how can uh, Gene said, "Those are those are historical documents, you know, Galaxy Quest. 
Exactly. Uh, so exactly. It can be whatever we want it to be. Uh, and arguing yeah. or being upset about it wastes time that you could be enjoying the story. But that's reasons why this show's called Shall We Digress? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. We're on theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but, but yeah, the so many great, and we, you know, we just talked about five out of the insanely number of great movies that came out of that not only that year but that fit our genre um yeah uh and i uh i watched a counter criticism i would say i guess to the fifth element last night on on a youtube channel and i was like mm, i disagree uh <laughs> but uh i was so fascinated excited and and uh uh, rewarded by that movie I can't express how much I loved it enough right that yeah I mean it's one of those things like that movie just stays with you and like yeah it's I'm sure it has flaws I know it has flaws but there's just something so cool like it just toes this weird line that I think very few movies manage where it's got kind of the cool right stargate mystery like this big sort of thing behind it you know deeper meanings about religion and symbols and all of that but then it's also just a goofy ridiculous fun film like Gary Oldman is a god and yeah was also oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah it was so fantastic and you yeah. know I'm I'm a sentimental you know softy teddy bear heart and the fact that the fifth element is love come on y'all what? <laughs> yeah is that not, exactly. is that, come on it is come on exactly it's right <laughs> and and uh, mila jovovich and bruce willis are perfect in their parts people want to give tiny lister a hard time i'll just refer you back to tiny lister um <laughs> and then like you said gary oldman i I've heard he hate not hates the movie but he didn't like it he didn't like being in it and he did it as a favor but you can't tell that man no. is such a professional that he's just like, I am here to do my best work regardless of the work environment. He commits. Yep, exactly. You know, that, yeah, Zorg is, you know, Emmanuel Baptiste Zorg. <laughs> so <laughs> great. Goodness gracious. So great. Um, and then, you know, it's very, it's simplistic. It's a, it's a, I mean, they tell you it's literal good versus evil. Um, yeah. And, we, you know, if it doesn't uh, encourage you to question, are we worth saving? Uh, then, yeah. you know, I'll refer you back to your uh, existential crisis. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, if you've seen Cabin in the Woods, that answers the question pretty handily. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, no, valid choice. Absolutely valid choice. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So to kind of get into back to like, you know, astronomy versus astrophysics, mm -hmm. essentially you use data gathered through astronomy to either do your research or uh, confirm your hypotheses that leads to new research. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool sort of interplay. I mean, they, they get interchanged a lot, which is totally understandable, but it really is um, observing and getting the data. And then, yeah, using that data to uncover how, what physical processes cause this. And the, the fun thing, and the thing I love about astrophysics is it's like, we just get what the universe gives us. And it's the cyclical thing of like observation and theory and observation and theory. And you go back and forth constantly because I can't just set up a star in a lab to be able to do this. Right. You know, you can't, uh, you're not Hemmer. 
Yeah, exactly. 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 We, um, we have to, you know, we have to take what it gives us. We can do modeling, but again, we're only modeling based on what we're seeing and our understanding of the physical processes. And then we can build those models and compare it to continued observations. And sometimes it's like, nope, that doesn't work so well. And, uh, and things have to change. And so that's what I, that's what always excited me about being an astrophysicist was just, you know, I, I fell more in the theoretical realm. I did my PhD in gravitational waves, which at the time had not been detected. That experiment yeah. is so fucking cool. It's so oh cool. Like, it's so cool. We use lasers to <laughs> find gravity. Yeah, <laughs> like to light. detect we use light. ripples of our own universe like yeah it's amazing it's like that time i felt a tiny little tremor from fracking that totally doesn't cause earthquakes yeah right oh geez oh pete yeah exactly no it's um yeah the gravitational wave it was just such a cool um such a cool experiment and just being able to work on that at all was just awesome. Um, and the, you know, the, the, it, it, it's, it's not quite the scale of large, large Hadron, but it, it, it's required to be kilometers long and yeah. in two places to verify the data. Insanity. Yeah. Because again, it's like, because of the nature of astrophysics, that's the only way we can get necessarily repeatability. We might only get one now, we have detected multiple signals, but every single signal we get, we have to verify with it showing up in at least one other detector because that's how yeah. astrophysics that's how experiments work. work. Yeah. And um, yeah, the precision science that goes into it, like for people who aren't aware, like the, the, the arms are four kilometers long in an L shape. So one laser goes down one arm, one goes down the other they split a laser beam. So 50, 50, and then they bounce off of mirrors, come back and recombine. And that four kilometers long, they're detecting changes in that length that are one, one thousandth, the size of an atom mm-hmm. off of mirrors that are like made of atoms <laughs> into so a detector insane. made of atoms. Like so there's quantum noise, the random variability of the photons, the light particles themselves introduce noise. The fact that the laser slightly oh, the famous over here. Oh, I know. This is this is like this is I mean not to not to take it too weird, but this is like sapiosexual level. You know, if you if you are into knowledge and 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 what it takes to get this, just oh it's well I'll have to start I am, a, unlocked a new YouTube channel for me. There you uh, go. There you go. There you go. The, the sapiosexual asshole physicist. It's 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 a locking brand right there. <laughs> Uh, but what what you're you know what you're doing for me here is I'm not an astrophysicist, but I have thought about these things, and you're just affirming that like I understand it even if I didn't study it, and and I just want to I just want to remind our dear listeners that we're confirming theories based on Einstein's relativity, yeah. okay, a hundred and odd years theory by someone who thought about it hard. Uh, and yeah. didn't have the means by which to confirm his theories. And through hypothetical scientific method, we have mostly confirmed everything he said and learned yep. so much more from it. And, Absolutely. You know, to that understanding of what it takes to 
get the data by studying the phenomena. Mm-hmm. The literal, the week that that's that strange new worlds used gravitational lensing, a black hole and gravity slingshot is pretty much, I think it's the week that we took a picture of Sagittarius A. <laughs> it's not very close. It was and, very close, yeah. And if y'all aren't familiar with Sagittarius A, that's the beautiful animal that keeps the Milky Way galaxy together. And so to, <laughs> to help you on your existential journey, Try to think about what it takes to keep a galaxy together. Then take another <laughs> step and realize that we are a small galaxy and that Andromeda is so much bigger that it's pulling us yeah. towards it. And in 5 billion years, people are going to have a real bad day um, <laughs> for a whole lot yeah, of reasons. There's going to be more than a few yeah. reasons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I've thought about like this, the sun is like 212 galactic years old because it's only made, it's only been around enough to make like yeah. 212 orbits of, of the center. Um, yeah. Uh, and then someone started a Sagittarius A Twitter account and it's called Sagittarius A-hole. And I just like nailed Amazing. it. Amazing. That's <laughs> so great. That's and they're so funny. great. Uh, and one of my other favorite it. new role play accounts is somebody made a role play account for the Scorch uh the the whole plate <laughs> on on enterprise uh so I'm like, that's brilliant yeah and it just <laughs> talks so it good. talks shit about the rest of the ship it's like what's up with the nacelle needles who do they think they are <laughs> <laughs> you know, just oh, showing amazing. up like that all of a sudden um, yeah right but but yeah and and you know back to the we take what we know we try to find it we try to understand mm-hmm. it more uh, one of the things that I, that I got to thinking about through the theory of relativity is since everything is relative experiments like the Large Hadron find the particles of, of the beginning. And yeah. since everything is relative, what if we're creating literal other universes that blink out of existence from our perceived time right. but exist for who knows how long in their perceived time? And what if we're just another someone's Hadron experiment? I love that. I like that sort of, that sort of hot nonsense is like not nonsense, but just, it's like, so it's, we can never prove it. We can never know it. It brings into like our own existence questioning, like any of that sort of weird timey wimey, like multiverse theory stuff is just so cool and so fun to think about um oh well and then the probability of the statistical probability that if it's not true here it's true somewhere right right exactly what (laughs) so good and uh and then you know however many of those particles are created in that experiment could explain your own multiversal experience um because you know we do detect a barrier there is the background radiation there is there is and a finite wall to an infinite universe because right. it is it is knowable where the end is but the end is moving and so yeah. it is constantly adjusting for expansion um the fact that it moves faster than light what that's crazy um, <laughs> and it gets to a point where you're just like that is cool i hope we understand that before i die but i'll just accept that that's what it is yeah. Right. And sometimes, yeah. And that's the thing too, is a lot of this stuff in astrophysics is so beyond what our little brains can handle. Like even just the fact that our universe is four dimensions of space and time, we can't visualize that we can perceive. 
Yeah, exactly. Like our, our brains can't see that four dimensional fabric. And so we have to use analogies and we have to come up with other ways of sort of explaining it, you know, expansion of the universe, thinking of like, well, if everything's moving away from us, then aren't we at the center? And, and if we're not, it's the analogy I use for that is the raisin bread analogy, right? It's yeah. like every, as raisin bread expands and cooks, every raisin thinks that everything's moving away from it. And, right. um, right. and you're, you're uh, moving too, pal. Yeah, exactly. And of course then, but there are people who are like, okay, well, if our universe is a four-dimensional like trampoline, for example, and bowling ball is the masks, um, then what's under the trampoline? Or like if with the raisin bread analogy, like, well, then what's the crust? And it's like, yeah, like it's just so hard for us to wrap our minds around some of this stuff in a really cool and profound way, but it's still, there are limits. What, what, I love about that, though, is that there are limits to our understanding, not to our curiosity. Um, And I think it's the curiosity that I think the curiosity itself infers that there's not a limit. Right. Yeah. That we will be forever curious, I hope, means that there's more to know. Um, Again, like that indicates the heat death of the universe to me if we stop because then we've known everything. Um, right. And we're probably really cold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it it is uh, it, it it can really um, it you know once you get through it, it's more fascinating than worrisome, um, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact that knowing that, regardless of whatever there might be in a mes- metaphysical sense, that what makes me up will be returned to what made me, yeah. um, and and you know in that sense you will have a legacy that, that no one will ever know. Um, yeah. And, and that is in itself uh, a fascinating concept, right? Well, and I think too, with astrophysics, like for me, it wasn't, it's not just the philosophical aspect of it and the existential aspect of it, but what I fell in love with was the ability to describe all of this weird stuff with math. That it's just like these equations, you know, you mentioned Einstein coming up with this idea for gravitational waves out of general relativity. I mean, he literally was just like, oh yeah, all right, math, 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 math. Oh, look, if something changes in space-time, there's going to be waves that come off of it that travel at the speed of light, but they're going to be so small, no one will ever detect them. But it all started from an equation. And then scientists just focused on that. And a hundred years later, like, they were like, okay, Einstein said it should look like this. And oh my God, Lo it looks behold. like this. <laughs> you know, Einstein predicted that awesome. we should find black holes. Um, yeah. And and that's why I think, you know, based on I the idea of dark matter is yeah. not proven, but it's solid. It's solid theory in the well, sense again, of it's- thinking theory, not science theory. Yeah, it's the um, it's the observation versus theory relationship that astrophysics has. It's that we know that stars in the galaxy are orbiting the galaxy much faster than they should be, which means that there's much more mass there than we can see, but we can't see it. We don't know what it is. And then not only that, but like with Hubble and doing some of these like deep field looking at galaxy clusters, you know, we can see light bend around these clusters in a way that implies that there's a hell of a lot more mass than is actually there. So we use dark matter. I mean, scientifically, like it's there. We just don't have any way to know what it is here on earth. So think about it kind of like this, I guess, in some way. We don't 
always think of, unless it's your job, you don't think of air on earth as a fluid. The atmosphere is a fluid, right? Right. right. We don't understand what space is <laughs> yeah. itself. So what if space is the fluid and the mass that moves everything else? Well, that was the, that was the ether, right? Initially, yeah. like that's yeah. what they thought. They were like, but what we if it's real, right? Something. <laughs> what if it's a force and, for the trees situation, right? We don't know what right. we're in because we can't, it's the frog being boiled in the pot. Well, and there, there's um, the idea, like, again, with our universe being a four dimensional fabric that again, with gravitational waves, we've actually detected, um, we've detected the fabric of space time itself that... <laughs> I know, I know, right? Such a cool <laughs> thing to say. Um, that this is, there this is could some be. Star Trek. <laughs> I know, right? There could be like higher dimensions that are existing in a way that we. I mean, that was my whole theory with dark matter that we got to work into in the background in the backbone for season three of Discovery with the burn. Um, mm -hmm. It all kind of started thinking about like what dilithium could be and what it right. could be made out of. I love and that. I love what the uh, idea of that was too, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Just, just the, the principle that you have a subspace component, a, a component that exists outside of our universe, but then interacts with our, the fabric of normal space and that dark matter could be something similar, right? Dark matter could exist on a different plane of existence, but still interact with us gravitationally could be, <laughs> you if, know, there's a lot of different explanations for dark matter. Well, I, I I know that subspace is a you know is a uh, physics ex machina when it comes to explaining things in Star Trek. So is dilithium, by the way. But the idea yeah. that dilithium itself has a subspace component that it resonates uh, on a frequency that taps into that crystals resonates how we keep tra track of time, y'all. It's fine. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things that's always you know hurt my brain is the amount of energy required for a transporter to work will literally vaporize you before it turns you into energy i mean <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna exactly. not exist before you get moved and so nope. i've i've used subspace like I, there has to be a subspace component to how transporters work yeah uh, I like because that. i i feel like there's a you know like the confinement beam itself uh could be right. a subspace container that then you're protected and dematerialized through that because otherwise yeah you know you're vaporized not moved um, yeah. And then that that just makes it like, OK, uh, let's go back to the it scans you and copies you. So are you I mean, maybe you are vaporized. Who knows? Who knows? Right. Um, right. I, I, that I could just the be the obliteration. <laughs> well, I prefer the, oh, man. Barkley's having a fit now. Uh, yeah. I prefer the uh, I prefer the subspace theory, though. Look, it's just Barclay's like, uh, got some good points. So does Hoshi. Like, I get, oh, yeah. I get Dr. McCoy, they're all right about it. They're all right about it. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I would do it, but I had my, I'd had my reservations. I've read the jaunt. You can't fool me, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love how not only has, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to switch into Trek here real quick. Not only has Trek inspired so much of our modern technology, which I, I, I expect we've come to, we would have come to those ideas the same, but having seen them in a practical application makes it easier to think of making that work. Um, yeah. And Trek has always tried to be using the best available science to direct fake science. Yeah. Um, and what we have today, I think Trek represents some of the best theoretical science along with fantastical science. Awesome. Um, 
that that fits really well, right? It's it, I think it's continuing to inspire the next generation of folks like yourself who are going to uh, want to do this work and help others make stories out of this work. Um, because what a lot of folks uh, who don't, who, you know, folks don't want to admit that science fiction is just a different kind of fantasy environment. We try right. to apply science to the fantasy, but it doesn't mean it's not fantastical, right? Right, um, right. I like to I like to compare science fiction to heavy metal. This only works if you're a heavy metal fan as well. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so it's like when you find another heavy metal fan, usually the next part of the conversation is like, what kind of heavy metal do you like? Because yep. there's a lot yep. of different kinds out there. And I think science fiction is really similar that it lives on this spectrum between science and fiction. And um, and especially when I work as a science advisor, my job is to figure out where they want the show or the film to live in that yeah. realm and uh and adjust accordingly and sometimes it's really hard hard science really you know let's incorporate a lot of real science in there i think discovery is a really good example of that yep. um and then other shows like lower decks for example or even strange new worlds we do have a lot of really good science in strange new worlds but it's much more keeping to the ethos of the original series which is right. to keep it more fantastic they don't understand and- all the science either allegorical yeah exactly and so um so it's it's always finding that balance of how much science to incorporate but i think the thing is that we try to do is just to still keep science a core part of the show even if it's just that they are scientists and uh and and to keep sort of a a backbone of true science even if it's just, let's not say anything wrong, <laughs> you know, right, we're not going right. to break the laws of physics necessarily. Um, and if we do, we just roll with it and we don't try to shove science where science doesn't belong. And that's, that's the beautiful part about it is that, you know, you don't, uh, you don't let what is real hold back what can be yeah. possible. Um, Absolutely. There's a way to noodle it out eventually. Uh, you know, it's like the Heisenberg compensators. How do they work? Very well, thank you. Uh, yep. You know? <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. And the Heisenberg compensator is a, it's a perfect example of that. Of it's just saying, look, we know the transporter breaks the laws of physics because of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. You can never know exactly where every subatomic particle is. So how do you put it back together? You put it back together with a Heisenberg compensator. That's how we got it. We compensated yeah. it for Heisenberg. that's it it's a it's a it's it's now a universal constant i'm sorry you don't understand math yeah exactly (laughs) exactly and um it's just such a great way of like acknowledging that it breaks physics but we're in the future it's a story yeah it's it's okay it's fine it's It's all fine um and and then you know i mean if you want to get to the root of it the idea that we could even pretend to contain matter antimatter reactions i mean that breaks physics too you know, <laughs> to be able to sustain, which is why we have an antimatter containment field. Yeah, it does, does that it with magnets. It contains magnets. antimatter. <laughs> it does it with magnets. Um, yeah. that, I mean, that's the theory is it does it with magnets, which yeah. I love. Everyone, everyone gets so much power to gravity in there. And make no mistake, gravity's doing a whole lot of work. But, you know, it's it's kind of one of the weak forces because uh, it yep. can be overcome with magnets in on your fridge. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I love so that too. Much more powerful. Because <laughs> like you put the, electricity um, on them, watch out. I know. Then everything breaks. 
And uh, what's so great is that I think that the magnets and especially the superconductors that they put into the technical background of a lot of these components really speaks to like when it was developed, which was in the 80s and 90s, where superconductors were like the thing, right? And then where did we and, go with that? We, we used them and then we were like, okay, that, that's cool. That, Let's incorporate that. Yeah. <laughs> Push them to the limit that we knew we had, but superconducting research is still definitely a thing. And, oh, nice. um, but it's not, it's not that groundbreaking, like mind blown thing that it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Got it. Um, yeah. yeah. And so because it was so groundbreaking and there were so many cool discoveries coming out of superconducting research um, that got folded into Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah. Particularly. That's how warp coils work. They're superconductors. Yep, you know, what, exactly. what are they made of? You don't need to know them. That's what's Superconductors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gravity generator has a superconductor element. Sure. Yeah, okay. Sure. Okay. That's how, you know, like we just learned that magnets are more than gravity. So how does that work? Yep. Um, but one of the real world applications of those, of those uh, truths in, in magnets and magnetism Folks were real disrupted uh, by detached nacelles uh, yeah. on on future ships, and so I did a little video as I put my phone on my inductive charger, and you can raise it up <laughs> offset inductive charger once it engages a significant because magnetic yeah. field is a thing, and that's how power got transferred between discovery and the. I mean, it's something you can literally do on your desk. It's induction coils. Yeah, yeah it's induction, induction coils. Use it all the time. Yep. I hate, I, I, as a tech person who has to talk to people about these things, I hate the, the so many people think wireless means wireless. And I'm like, no, it's not to be plugged in. And it's technically, or, you know, it's inductive charging because there's a magnetic field. Right. There's nothing wireless about the idea of it. We can't just Tesla the energy out of the air because he died. Um, right. Right. <laughs> Well, I think, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples of induction that I used to use for students was um, when you go to a stoplight that has a trigger for knowing if a car is there or not, that little circle mm -hmm. is not a pressure pad on the um, on the street, as a lot of people think there's induction coils under there, yeah. and it senses the, the car the metal of your car. It. Yeah, yeah, you it induces an electrical field. current. It's yeah. how yeah, magnets and, and yeah, metal works, steel, so cool. check it out. Uh, and then it's very great. cool. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, my new, uh, I have a, uh, I hope you'll appreciate this. Um, I bought a new car uh, last year for, uh, you know, I had a teenager that needed to drive. So I handed down the Prius. Uh, nice. Well, he's, he's paying for it because that's important to understand the value of the thing you own. Um, yes, it is. And uh, I did not have said car to trade in, nor did I want a new car. So he was the reason I was having to do all this. Uh, so there we worked out a deal. We worked out a deal and it's fair and he he's fine about it. Um, and then, uh, but this new car, it's a Toyota Venza, which is a, a new model they started last year that's only available as a hybrid. Um, and this this car is so, you know, I was like, man, I'm at the age where I need smooth rides and, you know, treat myself and it's fine. And so uh, I named her, I named it Philippa Giorgio. Uh, <laughs> nice. It is the ISS Philippa Giorgio NCC 42321, which is the day I bought it. Awesome. Um, my license plate is DS9. Amazing. And a friend on Twitter offered to die cut me 
uh, vinyl to put the red uh, the livery on my car. So yes. there's livery on the back, and we use science to determine the arc, <laughs> and so that it exists outside the arc of the rear wiper, so it's not disrupted and you know will last longer. And yeah, I I mean I'm super nerd. I own a giant Tribble. Uh, that my friend Cicero bought for me at Mission Chicago. Awesome. Uh, one of those science division triples. They're amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. So you're consulting on all the shows currently in production? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So from, I started on Discovery season three and I wasn't on season one of Picard. I wasn't on season one of Lower Decks, but everything after that I worked that's on. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so you have you have a lot of things that you can't talk about. That sucks. Yep, it's a vault. <laughs> oh, I, I love it though. The idea of it, the idea that you you have all that secret knowledge that that I know I will see eventually. Just yeah, it's so good. It's really so good. cool. What's what's fun is especially I think with the animation, there's so much lead time between the writing and seeing the episode. Right. for me i i kind of forget a lot of it by the time it airs and i'm like that's cool. oh yeah this <laughs> that's kind of like me and uh in beta releases of software you know if you hop on board so early that you forget what the new features are it's hard to tell people what the new features are <laughs> yeah, right exactly um, and uh and everything uh well Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak you. with you. Is there anything upcoming or uh, that you need to promote while you have, have some room here? Well, yeah, a couple of things to recommend. Um, I do, it's been out for a while, but based on the conversation we had, um, a sci-fi, um, it's a science of sci-fi series on Audible uh, that's called The Science of Sci-Fi by Dr. Aaron McDonald. Um, it's about four hours long. It's an audible original, and it just goes into like Newtonian gravity, Einstein gravity, and then how we see that play out in science fiction. And um, and then I also have a baby board book coming out in early September with my friend. Baby's um, first astrophysics. It is. Book. It is. <laughs> Star Trek's first book of space. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, that's amazing. And my friend Rob Perlman wrote a companion for it called Star Trek's first book of colors that it's uh, combined as like a steam, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math and, um, as, and art combined together. Nice. And so definitely check those out. Those are available for pre-order right now. People don't understand how art, math, science, all of that is intertwined. Um, yeah, art, it really art is. is you know, music is audible math yeah. and uh, so are colors, our visual math. And yeah. it's just, I mean, it literally is the language that defines our existence. Um, exactly. And exactly. Uh, you, you might not understand how, how it describes what, what makes what, but it does. Yeah. Uh, or it can't, it can. Um, and I think it's, I think it's why it's, you know, either math or music, which, you know, are essentially the same are always kind of the, the trope but it's because it would work uh, between yeah. how we establish communication between us and people who don't speak us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, like, it's the mathematical expression of our souls, which yep. is really cool. So yeah. anyway, I mean, so yeah, check made, those out. You're made of math too, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, no, check those out now real quick though. I, when you, you, you I exposed a doctor who you got a TARDIS on your arm. All right. There's I a do. TARDIS. 
what, what I have a TARDIS. I have a sleeve of spaceships that's all coming together. I have the Normandy SR2 from Mass Effect. Nice. Uh, I have Voyager, my my favorite Star Trek ship. And then next to it, I have the Galaxy Quest ship. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, NSDA yeah. protector. That's so great. Um, the best not Star Trek, Star Trek movie, I think, uh, is it's Galaxy Quest. Greatest. I love it. It's my favorite cinema. movie. Well, I worked in cinema when it premiered, as I did for seven years. So all of the great 97 movies, I, I exhibited them as a, either awesome. a projectionist or a movie theater manager or both. Love it. Uh, yeah, no. So that's why they're all so great or near and dear to me. Um, uh, that's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, Trek tattoos are awesome. Uh, I got to meet Kate at Mission Chicago, and I sheepishly showed her uh, this drawing that I had done of Voyager uh, off of the one of the frames from the opening sequence. And, she, and in her best, uh, you know, proud auntie, uh, she was like, oh, that is very lovely, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and I was That's just like on right. the inside. I was dying on the inside, but it was great. That's and so I, I got a selfie with her. And she signed my picture of Maximum Janeway with her, uh, you know, yes. hair down with the phaser rifle. Because hair down That's Janeway is Maximum a Janeway. a good look. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the bun was never it. The bun was never it. Um, <laughs> well, fantastic. Yeah, uh, showing showing your love with your art on your skin is is the best compliment anyone. They were doing actual Star Trek tattoos at Mission Chicago, and I was like, "What in the world is even happening right now?" I know. I I got one. I got one of my Star Trek tattoos at uh, the first Vegas the official first official convention I went to. Oh, a few nice. years ago. that's amazing. Yeah. That's great. It's great just to mark uh, I mean, that experience. What are you going to do, right? I mean, if you can, yeah. you can. And uh, well, fantastic. I will. Uh, I definitely uh, are going to. Uh, I are going to keep following your work. Uh, <laughs> keep up with what's going on. Um, and uh, again, thanks for sharing so much of your time and energy. Yeah. Uh, but before we uh, before we part, I, I I do have to ask the the most controversial uh, astronomy science question: um, uh, Pluto. It's not a planet. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. No, nope. so saved it for the, the reasoning. Cool. <laughs> yeah, the reasoning. It's fine. We can go now. But um, I mean, for for me, it's it's that um, it's that we learned more. It's the nature yeah. of science. Yeah. You know, we discovered is. more objects in the Kuiper Belt that were bigger than Pluto, and really, Pluto exists in the Kuiper Belt. And so we were just like, well, we have to redefine things. And we do. Uh, it got redefined. It still well, exists. It still loves us. <laughs> right. And it's still, at least it has a name and a place. And it is, yeah. I don't know if it's unique amongst uh, Kuiper objects, but it is definitely um, unique for us in how it, like you said, uh, sad that it didn't even get to complete an orbit before we demoted it. Uh, yeah. But um, like you said, it led to deeper understanding of our home. Uh, yeah. And what and what exists past our home, um, and uh, I I just have to uh, overcome the nostalgia of of having had learned. It's okay, it's you can plan, still be you know. nostalgic about it. It's just yeah, a fourth. Yeah. So but I, I just have to accept new information and let my you know uh, imagination fill the gaps, right? That's, because that's science. Because yeah. science, science. It's just, <laughs> without imagination, there wouldn't be science. So let's keep sciencing. Exactly. Cool. All right. Well, thanks well, again. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And thanks for coming here. And uh, thank you all for listening, uh, of course. And uh, you can reach out uh, on Twitter at D-A-N-D-E-C-K-R. Or uh, if you really want to reach out, you can uh, visit patreon.com slash Dan Decker and uh, drop as little as a dollar a month in the bucket and get early access to all the cool stuff. 
Uh, and with that, I will say uh, thank you and good evening from the Toad Suck Studio in Central Arkansas.